Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, master of shenanigans, and uh, you're in for a good one today. Now, if you've been following along in 2021, our theme has been focusing in on the how, right? So specifically, Fundamism is all about helping empower individuals to focus and create more of what's good as opposed to what isn't. We do so by featuring fundamentals, specific and tactical things that we could all apply in our daily lives to increase the amount of joy, fun, and fulfillment in them. So today's featured fundamental is all about unleashing. But before I reveal that, I would be remiss not to shout out our sponsor, Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle has been with us from the jump. I myself am wearing a Fundamism Charlie Hustle What's Good shirt right now. If you know nothing of Charlie Hustle and uh, reliving that childlike spirit that we all once embraced, go to charliehustle.com, swoop up a a hoodie, maybe uh, some sweatpants or a fine t-shirt while you're there. Support Charlie Hustle just as they have us, charliehustle.com to learn more. So our featured fundamental is something that uh, I thoroughly enjoy doing, although I haven't mastered it. It's something that I think that we could all tap into just a little bit more, not just unleashing in others, but unleashing in ourselves. So today's featured fundamental, unleash the power of others. And to showcase how we could do that and have a real fruitful conversation about the fundamental, I'd like to introduce to you uh, speaker, consultant, author, coach, Mr. Philip Zimmerman. What's good, Philip? Hi, Paul. I'm doing fantastic today. Great to be on your show. I appreciate that, brother. So the people want to know, you know, this is a lighthearted discussion. Uh, We're all about focusing on what's good and creating more joy, fun, and fulfillment in life. So, Philip, what do you do for fun, my friend? Uh, You know, I was listening to your uh, recent show that you had on expanding with Annette and, and Marwana and you, you talked about the Ninja Turtles yes. and you got to, you got to D'Angelo and you described D'Angelo. And I said, that's me, <laughs> a scientist, you know, investigator, an engineer. I love, I mean, that, that well, I, I just love to solve problems. That's yes. And that's, that's me. That's me. I'm a D'Angelo. I love it. I love it. Well, so of course uh, you're, you're referencing the gentleman that really thrives in, uh, in creativity, right? And yeah. uh, innovation. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. So uh, of course, very smart gentleman as well, uh, far smarter than me. That's why I thrive more in the Michelangelo space, but I like to invite individuals like you to help close the gap and educate me on all my uh, opportunities in life. So yeah, for- oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you, uh, uh, you know, before we really dive into yeah. your history and, and engineering background and uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. saving the world, talk to me a little bit about when I say the fundamental or phrase, unleash the power of others, what comes to your mind? The, uh, as far as unleashing the power of others is that each of us has a potential within us that we have been given to accomplish, I believe, and allowing that individual to to do that. Uh, you know, there's so many things that have held us back in society over time and in culture uh, and in the workplace. And that's really where I, where my focus is, is in the workplace of how to unleash in the workplace talent that is unbelievably uh, phenomenal that is currently being restrained. So that's kind of my, I love it. My forte right now. And I, and I think that's really important. It's important to note that, you know, the workplace right now, 
uh, isn't what it used to be for uh, many reasons. Um, but oftentimes when you unleak, uh, unleash rather the, the power of yourself and others in the workplace, your personal life gets so much better as a result and vice versa, right? When you figure oh, yeah, out, yeah. when you figure out your, your path and you thrive in the things that you're passionate about and you truly identify what you're great at while really uh, starting to close the opportunity gaps, if you will, then life gets a whole lot better. So, um, when we talk about unleashing the power of others, you in, in your uh, wealth of business knowledge have really focused your attention on one specific group of people so much so that you wrote a book on it. And the book, forgive my ignorance, I believe is called Unleash the Millennials and Save the World. That's so correct. Before we talk about millennials, why does the world need saving? The uh, if, if you were to look, well, just look at the world <laughs> today, it is unbelievable. And the the point being is that the technologies that we're currently under development, which we have never really, really never seen on the planet before have the, you know, the atomic bomb and nuclear bomb could totally destroy the earth. I, I get that, but we're developing some technologies today that have that equal, uh, you know, equal opportunity to uh, destroy us as a, as a society and as a culture and as a, uh, as a species uh, to destroy the planet. So I think that that's the idea of saving the world. Um, because of the of the coming technologies that are there, and the millennials are going to be the ones who are going to be the implementers. They're they're going to implement the technology, and, and the desire in the workplace, from my perspective, is that they do it in a way that is safe for everyone. I love that. So there's there's a lot of different generations out there. We got the boomers who are who are currently holding down the fort. Uh, we got the, I'm, in, I'm in that generation. <laughs> that's right. We got the aforementioned uh, millennials. We got the Xers and the Ys and the Zs and oh, yeah, uh, every yeah, letter yeah. under the book. Why did you Why did you focus your attention on the millennials? Uh, great question. I, I was uh, left a 20 year engineering consulting practice. It had done very well and had some resources in the bank that allowed me to pay back or pay forward really to the future. And I, and I left the profession and I became a teacher, high school teacher. And I spent 12 years in a high school classroom teaching millennial students because at that time they, they were the millennials. And what I discovered in it was the, the fact that they were just this unbelievably capable generation of individuals. And then I, I was going to develop an institute of leadership, which I did at the school. And so I started researching millennials. So I actually went to got an organizational doctorate degree and then studied millennials in particular because that's who I was teaching in the classroom. And I discovered that in the workplace, when they entered the workplace, they were rejected. They were they were ridiculed. They were saying that they were you know, worthless. You know, all they wanted was another nickel. That they, they were disloyal. Uh, they were not engaged in what they did, and I just could not understand that. So I did a whole lot of being a, a Donatello. I did a whole lot of research uh, trying to figure that, out, and I discovered uh, why they're like that. And that's not what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about how you can unleash them uh, because there is a definitive way that you can just totally unleash their power. Now. Can I can I make one other comment about millennials? You listen, this is this is your platform, my friend. We're showcasing right. your goodness. All right. If you think about just I, I just you know, I was I'm a, well, I was born in 57, so that'll tell you how old I am. And I can remember it in in the music that I listened to in the 60s and 70s, and then uh, through the rest of my life. If you look at any music artist, when is the greatest time that they were producing music? It's typically between about 18 to 35. Mm -hmm. And then once they get past 35, they kind of just they kind of get burned out. I'm not sure what happens to creativity. If you if you take that into any field, literally any field, art, uh, uh, I just already mentioned music, engineering, science, 
the greatest advancements that any individual makes is between the ages of 18 and 35. That's where the millennials are now. And, and what's happening in the workplace is they have really been squashed really for the last 10 years of, of uh, being unleashed to, to use, to utilize what they know in order to uh, uh, innovate, creatively innovate. So that's really what I'm, I'm, I'm just super pumped about. And Generation Z, the generation right behind them is, is a millennials on, are, are millennials on steroids. They're just even, even the, you know, uh, exponentially greater in what their, what their capabilities are going to be uh, when, once they get to the workplace. Sure. So, you know, when we talk about the how to unleash the power of millennials yeah. Oh, yeah. and really anybody for that matter, but, but specifically the millennials for the purpose of this conversation and to really, to really showcase your expertise, you, you know, you mentioned, you kind of skated over, you know, we won't talk about why they are, or we yeah. are the way that we are. Well, I think that's very important. I think it's very important for us to address and identify why we're so different, whether it's a, a, a generation or a personality, a Donatello, a Michelangelo. I think it's important to yeah. understand why we are different. That, of course, is the U in our fun acronym, understanding others' perspectives. And so specifically, the reason why I find this important. So, Philip, my first speaking engagement that I ever had uh, was a keynote. Many of our Fundamentalism podcast listeners have heard this story, but maybe not as detailed as what I'll reveal now. Uh, I got the opportunity to do a keynote for the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. I had never done a keynote before, and so I, I diligently wrote what I thought leadership was and what all these golf course superintendents would want to hear and that would resonate with them. And I went and I delivered my content. Philip, I'm on stage for no less than 10 minutes, and I asked the question, if you had to identify the greatest leader, like pie in the sky, the best possible leader, what would it look like? So we whiteboard all of these answers, and we come up with a really robust list of characteristics that make a great leader. So then I said, if this is what defines, in our opinion, collectively, a great leader, what do you believe are all the things that are holding us back from demonstrating these traits on a regular basis? Yeah. If we know this is pie in the sky, what's keeping us from demonstrating this day in and day out? Philip, it took no less than 30 seconds for the audience to go down the path of these gosh darn millennials. It was the most interesting conversation ever. You know, I can't get them off their cell phones. I can't get them to focus on anything. They never show up to work. And what's interesting was the shift in mindset to understand that we as leaders have to adapt to our workforce. We have to communicate to others, not as we prefer to communicate to, but rather how others uh, prefer their communication with. So, Let's just briefly talk about, in your experience and expertise, why are millennials the way that we perceive them to be? That's uh, a great question, and I, I could spend. Well, I wrote a whole book on it, so right? uh, if you read the book, you'll you'll get the details. Let me give you the, the summary of it. One is that millennials and every other generation in the workplace want the exact same things. Uh, it's been shown by surveys, and, and I did my own survey to validate it, and in fact, it's true. So in the workplace and really in life, we all want the same thing. We're all humans. We're all having this shared human experience. And so this idea of fun that you talk about, the fundamentalism and, and happiness in life, you know, that we all want to enjoy that. So there is no, from a differential perspective of the generations, that's the same. The big, we had two age shifts. Now, you know, an age is a, is a 
is something that takes a long time to establish. We had two age shifts that occurred during the time that millennials were being were, were being born, and boomers were were, uh, were were working in this time, and Xers were growing up during this time. The first shift, I mean, the, the huge shift, was a philosophical shift. I won't get into all the details of it, but 2,600 years of philosophical um, understanding of what is true and what is justice. Those are the basic two of them. What is true and what is justice died after World War II. That's called Western philosophy. It died. We're now living in this postmodern period. It took a couple, you know, 30 years for it to get to the United States. By the 1980s, we were totally a postmodern culture after modernism. That was the last uh, stage of Western philosophy, modern philosophy or modernism. And that died. As a result, the, the Millennials were raised completely to think completely different about life than any other generation, uh, in in uh, for a long time. I mean, it's only this is only the third time a change has happened in Western philosophy, and we have we don't we haven't entered into a new philosophical period yet. It, it happened once in the fifth uh, century BC, fifth uh, century AD, started in the sixth century BC, and it had it shifted again in the sixteen uh, hundreds. Uh, uh, and then, the, so this is only the third time this has happened within this. So that's huge. So let me give you the difference between the two. In the Western philosophy mindset or the modernist mi mi mindset, there is a right way to live. In the postmodern mindset, which is really anti-philosophy, there's there's really no tr truth, no justice, no, all that's just fabricated. It's all in your, in your own mind. There is no right way to live. So in the modern, boomers were raised, there is a right way to live. Millennials were raised, there is no wrong way to live. That difference is huge. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The other thing we had is we had a business model age change. This hasn't happened in over 400 years and probably longer than that. We went from industrial age, where we made things with the hands and with machines and, and used your mind to make personal connections to the, what's now called the connected age, where everything is digital, uh, uh, and, and machines are doing more and more work. And that changed three things. This age changed three things that we all depend upon. How we handle economics. What 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 is money and how do we shift money around? How do you make money? Those kinds of things. It, it, it changed the technology change, which was pen and paper to computers to, I mean, I mean, uh, Elon Musk is working on a thing that you stick in your brain and, and to put a computer in your brain. And he's almost got it. I mean, it's unbelievable. And uh, our... Um, education changed, how we educated people. That's why they came, when they came to the workplace, they were so different because how they were educated. Uh, I was educated, most Xers and most, all boomers probably, were educated in rows and columns. Teacher stands at the front of the classrooms and subject matter experts and the and the students receive from the teacher and re regurgitate on tests and exams back to the teacher what the teacher has taught. Millennials were taught in a totally different environment, typically in a round environment or with groups because of the internet availability. The teacher was no longer the expert, was a facilitator. And so the students were required in class to go find the expert in this field and find out what the expert in this field says. So when a millennial entered the workforce, this is, I'm going to explain why, it's just the situation you just talked about. Millennials were entering when they first entered the workforce and still today, industrial age workplaces where we have a job to do, you're assigned a job, you're assigned a desk and a chair, it might be a cubicle, but it might be an office and you just do your job, <laughs> you know, and when you're done, bring it to me, I'll check it over and we'll, we'll go over it from there. Millennials were, were, were not raised to enter in that environment. 
they were raised to, um, because of, this is another education thing. And I would have known this had I not been an educator. But if you start a student at first grade, right? What's your first grade learner learning? And then what are they going to learn in second grade? What are they going to learn in third grade? Well, all that's planned out all the way through 12th grade and then into college and even into graduate school to occupy jobs that will be available when they get to their terminus per degree, whether that's a high school diploma, college degree, or advanced degree. So what jobs are available when they graduate? When you start in first grade and you're working up that rubric to get them there, when the computer came in, it was kind of like, well, what are, what are the jobs going to be when the computer comes in? And so they started working on industrial age stuff for the computer. When the internet came in, that was the game changer. They said, uh-oh, what's going to be the job when the internet comes in? And then when Google came on, Google's been phenomenal in its just influence on the world. When it came online, it was like, who knows what's going to be AI. So they started teaching students not to enter a job that was currently available. I think it was in 2016, head of the Duke University education program, wrote a book. End of the book, she said 60% of the jobs the lower school students will occupy in you know, 15 to 16 years have not been invented. 60% of the jobs have not been invented. So how are we going to educate students to occupy jobs that haven't been invented? They, so they started, they started educating them differently, different than that had been in the that the current workforce was it was experiencing. So when they entered the workforce, they were they were asking different questions than the people in the workforce had ever heard before. Sure. So is what you just defined or kind of laid out? For, forgive me. I mean, I am a complete yeah. novice when it comes to yeah, all of this. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, you are an educator. So uh, I'm looking to be educated, as is our Fundamism podcast listeners, uh, or as are our podcast listeners. Is that the millennium change cycle that you just kind of identified? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the millennial change cycle is, is you know, this has not happened. This, I mean, the significance of the, you could, well, actually, you can see it culturally happening right now in the, in our country and globally. I mean, there's a cultural phenomenon going on, and, you know, people are saying socialism, communism, whatever. This is all part of this millennium change cycle, millennial change cycle, that this this shift, these two shifts, if you would have had a philosophical shift, but the industrial, but the business age would have stayed the same. Well, you might, we might've been able to handle it or a business age shift when the philosophy and philosophy stayed the same. I think we might've been able to handle it. I think with both of them shifting at the same time, you have an entire culture that thinks, uh, you know, like 180 degrees different, how to do things in the current, than the current culture. This has not happened in, I mean, if you go back historically, you know, I'm a Donatello, so I like to do a lot of research. I'm, I was trying to find the last time this has happened. And the last time this has happened, it's probably over a thousand years ago that a generation like the millennials, and of course, Gen Z is millennials on steroids. So it's a generation like the millennials has entered the world and entered the culture of the world. And it's just, they're going to change everything. I mean, everything that's going to change, everything's going to change. And that's why I say probably about 2040, if, if I'm alive then, you'll, you'll probably be alive in 2040. You will not recognize the workforce. If you went back to 2021 and said, okay, here's the 2021 workforce and here's the 2020. And it's just like 14 years away. It's not long sure. away. Right. Uh, that it's going to be completely different. It's going to be completely different. Well, this you, is, you wouldn't this be is, able to work there. Right. Well, if we don't change, yeah. if definitively, if we don't change our mindset yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and how to yeah. unleash uh, the power of said yeah. millennials and others. So, you know, before we talk about the how, because that's what yeah. everybody wants to know. And that's our yeah. that's our, our real premise for 2021. 
you hit on something that really, really resonates with me. And it's something that I think that we as a society really struggle with, especially in the workplace. So, you know, I mentioned my first keynote ever. And, you know, one of the one of the falsehoods out there is that millennials are there, they can't be motivated. They're not motivated by anything. I can't figure out what they're motivated by. Yeah, uh, right. So when you really dial it in and you start asking questions about remove millennials, what anybody's motivated by, you typically get some common responses. Right. Uh, money. I like the paycheck. You know, I like things. So I like to buy things. Uh, I, I ultimately am motivated by power or the uh, potential to create change. Right. So, yeah, oh yeah. What I found is all of those things could be broken down to one specific thing, and that is shared experience, right? If you, if you, if you think that you're motivated by money, what you're truly motivated by is the experience that money brings you or that the experience right. that money can buy. If you're right. motiva- motivated by positions of power or creating change, well, that's all experience, experience that generates memories and, and fondhoods and, and moments where you could pat yourself on the back and say, we, we did the dang thing. So I love knowing <laughs> that everybody, it, it, based on what I heard you say, is driven by the same thing, which is shared oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it totally is. It, 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 there, we are all totally driven by the same thing. Now, I, I, I will give you the, here's another key. I mean, this is just... I've looked in literature trying to find these things, and and it's because I'm uh, part of my gift. I, I have a gift. It is to be able to see an issue and find these disparate pieces, you know, assimilate them together, and then and then get something to come out of it that is just totally new. And that, that's kind of what I what I what I saw. That in this, uh, as we're the boomers. It has to do with pur- uh, a pur- meaning, purpose, and calling of life. Yes. I'm talking about this human experience. We're talking about a human experience. What's the meaning of life? What's my purpose in life? What's my calling in life? Boomers and most Xers were not given that option to ask those questions. Meaning is meaning in life is you stay out of trouble. That, that's pretty simple. Hmm. Purpose in life is you get an education, get a job, uh, get married, have kids if you can, be great, buy a car, buy a house, uh, have fun, go on vacation. Uh, and then when you retire, make sure you have enough money when you, when you, when you retire and take care of others along the way. That was my purpose. I hadn't, there was no other purpose. Calling was, well, just whatever I worked in for a long time. You know, people used to work in a job for 35 and 40 years. And that, that was kind of their, their calling in life because of how millennials were educated. Remember that uh, boomers and most extras were raised that there is a right way to live. And they were educated in a, in a classroom that said, there is a right way to live. Johnny or Susan, this is the way that you should, should live your life. Hmm. Millennials were not provided that anywhere by the culture, by their education, typically by their family, because boomers were absent parents. It was just terrible, horrible what we did to our kids. Uh, we were absent parents. Yeah. And so no one really gave them that, that guidance, but they still have in themselves, because we're human, we all share this human experience, that they know that they, in fact, they were told by their educators, you have a purpose, Johnny or Sally, and you can do anything you want. And your goal in life is to find out what that purpose is. And, and you may be able to discover it through the meaning that you find and what your vocational. So they have been searching for this whole thing called purpose in their life. Hmm. And if you don't have a way to find that purpose, it can be, is my purpose to work flip burgers? Well, no, is my purpose to, to work, you know, so they get an education the best they can. They graduate, they go get a job. And the first question they ask themselves after about six months in the job is, 
this, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Sure. A sure. purpose question. It's a deep philosophical, spiritual question. Uh, and, and my life doesn't really seem to have any meaning. Oh my gosh. It, it's a, this is that part of unleashing because in the workplace, you can provide the millennial, really the boomers, we weren't even thinking about these questions, but for the people who are thinking about these questions, Millennials and Gen Z, man, we could give it to them on steroids, right. meaning, purpose. They're confirmed their vocational calling. It's unbelievable. You know, this whole thing of work-life balance, one of the three things that millennials said that they wanted, and, and I'm not sure, I haven't seen a Gen Z uh, survey lately, but I, I studied a lot of millennial surveys. Back in 2010, the top three drivers for engagement, productivity, and loyalty was opportunities uh, for career, uh, career development. They wanted to be developed. Opportunities for advancement and work-life balance, those three. That was in 2010. In 2020, Gallup did a survey, very similar survey, huge survey, huge survey. Uh, guess what the top three drivers were? Exactly the same thing. Didn't they wanted? They wanted de development. They wanted advancement. They wanted work-life balance. What that showed me was there was a 10-year period where they didn't get what they wanted. Right. <laughs> we didn't give it to them. I'm talking about the boomers. We didn't give it to them and right. we're not about to get, and we're not about to give it to them. That's the problem. That's the problem. And that's why I'm saying the boomers and the older extras need to unleash this generation because they are the most educated generation in human history. They are everything we could ever imagine that we would hope that we could be educationally. They are there and they are at the prime time of their creativity and innovation. Let them go. Let them do it. That's and kind of therein lies the rub is we have a generation of leaders that has historically gotten by, highly successful, I might add, at painting within the lines, at oh, establishing yeah. boundaries, uh, understanding exactly what the desired outcome was, and going and doing it because it was always yeah. very black and white. Yeah, and yeah. now, to your point, in this, this postmodern era, we have a, a, new, a newer generation of folks that really has been told anything is possible. Oh. Uh, you know, write your own story, uh, live in the gray. And our leadership, as evidenced by the survey that you just revealed and the 10-year gap where nothing really changed at all because everybody still wants development, advancement, and work-life balance, yeah. that tells us that our leadership isn't or hasn't really thrived in adapting to this new style. So let's talk about it. How do we uh, unleash the power of said millennials? I'll, I'll give you an example, and then I'll then I'll go go through it for you. In, in my book, I have the idea of this whole idea of a virtual workforce, and that was really been part of this work life balance. You know, millennials were raised, you know, going to coffee shops and working twenty four seven. So they do their homework in groups, and they would go to a coffee shop, and they were never they never stopped working. They have never stopped working twenty four seven. I mean, they playing games or whatever. The so that the idea of having to go sit at a desk, right, for a job when, when you know, the, the, between eight o'clock and five o'clock, eight in the morning, five o'clock in the afternoon is ridiculous. Look, I, I got something to do at 10 o'clock in the morning. I'll be gone till noon, but I'll finish it up tonight. And they would. I mean, that's just how they've lived their life. This whole idea. So when the, when the pandemic hit and remote working started, the executives I work with, they were freaking out saying, oh my gosh, we're, 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 we're going to be crippled because all these people are working from Zoom and working from home. What, what's going to happen? Every one of them said what they were most surprised by was that their productivity did not only drop, it actually increased. When their workforce was sent home, their productivity increased. They said, you know, when we come back from this pandemic, we're going to reduce our office space. 
We're going to allow work-life flexibility. If people want to work from home, we're going to give them that flexibility to do that. There's some people that need to come into the office, but if these people who don't need to come into the office want to work from home, we're going to let them work from home. It's unbelievable. And so that, so I, I had it in the book that that's coming, but the pandemic just forced it. And as a result of that, the pandemic is forcing the, the because of the workforce, how the workforce is handled, the pandemic is for, is is forcing this to happen. And millennials are not going to go back. When you say they're not going to, they're not going to take a step back and say, okay, let's go back to the way things were. They're not going back to the way things were. Fifty percent of the workforce in 2020 uh, in the United States and globally is millennial. Our millennial by 2025. That's just four years away. Seventy-five percent of the global workforce will be millennial. That, it's going to blow you away. 75% in just four years? Are you going, are you kidding me? I, 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 yeah, I see millennials around, but really 75% is part of the, the boomer. I call it an hourglass effect. The boomer generation, about 80 million. Xers, about 40 million. Millennials, about 80 million. Those are just round numbers. Mm -hmm. There's only about half as many Xers as boomers and or millennials. So half the boomers have already retired. 2021, a little more than half. So let's say 40 million boomers have retired. There was 40 million Xers. So in the workplace today, an Xer is probably already occupying a boomer spot, whatever, because a boomer retired, they needed somebody to replace them. Sure. For the next 40 million boomers that retire, there's no more Xers left. Theoretically, they're all, they're all, they're all, they're all they'll, maybe they'll go from one boomer job to another boomer job, but who's going to take that boomer job that they took before? The only generation there is millennial. And that's what the, that's why this in 2025, they're going to be 75% of the workforce because there's not, the, it's not that Xers didn't go into your, for your listeners. It's not that Xers didn't go into accounting or business or finance or engineering or, or, or education. They were never born. And this is a global experience. They were never born. Of course, in the United States, Vietnam War, during the, their, when they were being born, had the Vietnam War, uh, birth control came in, um, uh, uh, abortion came in in the United States and also globally. So they'd be, they, they can't say that was what happened. I'm not sure if it is or not. But what we can say is globally, the X generation is very small. That's why this visa is trying to get these visas for people to come and work in the United States. It's not about immigrant workers, you know, to work the fields. It's about getting high technology Xers into the United States to work in these technology companies because they are just not here. They're, they were never born. And so that that's really a, the visa issue that's, that's ongoing right now. So knowing that there's going to be this complete turnover in leadership yeah. specifically in the next four years uh, and the workforce in general, but I would have to assume that if boomer leadership positions are replaced by millennials, then maybe a byproduct of that is millennials are managed uh, a little bit more to that shared human experience and that gray area that you referenced before. Is that part of the yeah. how? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, 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 the how is this? Okay. The, the, remember, the millennials are seeking meaning, purpose, and calling in their life. These three, meaning, purpose, and calling, are directly tied. And again, I just did a lot of research. It's just, it's one, of those, it's one of those people. Meaning is directly tied to their engagement and, and work. And the reason why I love this, it's it's work-life balance. You know, we work half more than half of our lives we're at work. Or, because if we're not at work, we're thinking about work. Sure. So our meaning is directly tied to our engagement. Our productivity is directly tied to our, I mean, our purpose is directly tied to our productivity. And our calling, what's our calling in life is directly tied to our loyalty. So you got engagement, productivity, and loyalty, those three. That answers this meaning, purpose, and calling. Mm 
So how do you get that? Well, the the thing that gets productivity, this the uh, engagement, productivity, and loyalty are a function of these three things: alignment. That's engagement. So your alignment is enhanced. I mean, your engagement is enhanced by proper alignment to make sure that you're the right person doing the right job. Doesn't matter what the job is. Are you the right person to do that job? You know, what's your personality profile? What's your temperament? Do you like doing this? That's the first one. Once they are aligned and they start in, because now they're now they're doing what they know know how to do and what they like to do. They're going to become engaged, and that's going to provide their life meaning. Oh my gosh, who knew? <laughs> and then if you develop them, now you provide them development. So now they're they're engaged, and now they're getting developed, and that they got really proficient at what they're doing, and now they're getting very masterful at what they're doing. That's going to increase their productivity. Because now they're not only know how to do it, but now they had to know how to do it better, faster, cheaper, and a new technology that nobody ever thought of. That's the that's the big thing. They're going to come up with a new technology nobody ever thought of because now they've gotten really good at doing it. They're going to say, why are we doing it like this? Don't you know that this is out there and it's going to change everything? Their productivity goes up. That provides them purpose. That's why I'm here. Oh, that, that's I've got meaning. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And look at the stuff I'm creating. I mean, just look at an artist or, or, I mean, we can see it when, when people do stuff, art, you know, they make music or they, or they draw a picture or they carve a statue and they just say, that was me. You know, I, I did that or a bricklayer. I mean, a bricklayer, bricklayer gets to kid, take his grandkids, you know, 30 years later, say, you know, I built that building. That's this whole purpose. That was my purpose to build that building. That comes in productivity. And the last one is as they get really good at this, suddenly they get called up like you probably get called up because you're a vocational authority on your feet in your field. They want to talk to Paul. So then suddenly they become a vocational authority. And then they go, that was my whole calling in life to become. It's just unbelievable. Now, I've got two. In this research, I did two. Um, I did a, I did a, a subject matter expert from the world, and I did a subject matter expert from a spiritual basis. I happen to be a, a spiritual person and, 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 and a faith-based person. So I looked at Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, and then I looked at Aristotle from early, uh, one of the, you know, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, uh, philosopher, one of the earliest, most quoted philosophers. They say he was probably one of the greatest philosophers ever. Uh, of what they're, what, how did they find happiness? What is happy? Because happiness was a big thing in the workplace and all the journal articles I was reading that millennials were after. They wanted workplace happiness. How do we develop happiness? It's absolutely fascinating. Let me, I'll go with the, I'll go with the secular perspective first, Aristotle. So, cause you want to have fun at work, right? You want to have fun. Sure. Let's have fun. 100%. So you got to be happy to be fun. If you're, you're not going to be out there miserable having fun, but if you're really happy, and then you can have, you can have a blast. Oh my gosh. Millennials, when they, if millennials had a blast at work, can you imagine what the productivity would be and what their engagement would be? And it's not because they want trinkets and toys and a coffee shop and all. No, they want to, they want to answer the question. Why, why is something being done? Which is the very base reason. What's the absolute reason why this is being done. And then the how, because once they know the why and the how and how it's currently being done, then they can think of the technology that's not yet been invented and they can invent it and suddenly they'll be a billionaire. I mean, that's just how they've been taught. Sure. They're one app away from being a billionaire. So Aristotle said, happiness is experienced when appropriate excellence is well performed in actions taken while living a virtuous life. Uh, that's, a, it's a, that's my summary of what he said. He, what he said was four sentences long. But basically, happiness is, a, is experienced when a take when when appropriate action is well when a, 
appropriate excellence is well-performed in actions taken while living a virtuous life. So this is it during work. This is happiness is found at work. Oh my gosh. Happiness is found at work. Are you kidding me? Yes. Aristotle saying happiness is found doing what you do excellently in the, for the right reason, in the right way, as a, as a function of your life, a virtuous life. Yeah. And that's when you're happy. Cause he was trying to figure out what was happiness. Everybody's trying to figure out what makes people happy. Okay. Solomon, Solomon had a great statement. He said, you know, the, uh, he, he was really upset. He did a lot of philosophy. He did a lot of investigation. He had you know, money and everything. He, he investigated everything to try to figure out where his happiness found. What's the meaning of life. And he said he, he hated life and he hated work, the toil of work, because you'll work your entire life to build up this fortune so that you could live on this fortune forever. And then you die and somebody inherits it and you have no ability to control what they do with it. He said, so I, so I've wasted my whole life. So somebody else could get what I made. <laughs> that was his base. That was his basic conclusion. He hated work. He hated life. This is horrible. I got all this stuff that I, that I acquired and now I'm going to die and somebody else is going to get it. I can't control it. Uh, so he said he wasted his life because he was working on building up all this stuff. Then he discovered, ah, he said, a man could do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This is from the hand of God. Now, this is Solomon speaking. He's looked at everything to try to figure out what's the meaning of life. And this is what he said. Again, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. Why work? Well, you know, we have, when we are here to work, we all work, we do something whether you're playing video games or whatever, you're working in a video game, I tell you, but the, it's just the, the whole, we have this drive to work, you know, we, we okay. So this is what Solomon said that God gives us. This Solomon calls them God's gifts of labor. Okay. Now just, now just think about this. He just said, it's nothing better for you to, to eat and drink and find satisfaction in your work. So here's the things that God gives us in our gifts of labor. According to Solomon, God gives us satisfaction. Uh, you know, have you ever been done, doing what you're doing, speaking? Have you ever been satisfied in that? Of course you have been. Enjoy, uh, enjoyment. Have you ever had enjoyment when you just got off the stage? Oh, man, that was great. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. You know, just like unbelievable. The, the audience went crazy. And everybody's like, what did I just do? You enjoyed yourself. That's what work's all about. Experiencing good. Right? Not experiencing bad. Not experiencing pain. Maybe helping somebody else. Just doing something good for somebody else. I mean, in your work, unbelievable. Helping, helping mentor or coach a colleague or a peer or somebody underneath you, and you see the result of what they're doing as a result of your influence on them, where they're going. Uh, rejoicing again. This is whole the whole idea. Rejoicing together as a community. Right? Let's rejoice. We just did a great way. We beat last quarter's numbers flat out. We. Anyway, this is the cool one. Time fly. God has given us that time flies by. You're not watching the clock like, oh my gosh, it's still a quarter till five. Tick, 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 tick. No, man, you're like, oh my gosh, it's five o'clock already. Whatever happened to the day? Because you're just having a blast at work doing what you're doing because you're engaged, you're productive, you're loyal. You're just, oh, can you tell I'm excited about this? And the last one, last one, Solomon says, God gives us a joy of heart. Now, I, I say all that from the perspective that these are two ancient writers because today, I mean, today, culturally, nothing's true, you know, can't believe anything. So let's go back 6,000 years and find out what they were saying back then, right? It, because both of these have lived for 6,000 years. These philosophies until 1948, when Western philosophy ended, this Aristotle quote was 
key to that idea of truth and justice and happiness in the world. Aristotle was always referenced in the in the uh, uh, spiritual sector. The the uh, Solomon is still there, but the all I have to say is to try to find somebody today to find you what happiness is. I didn't go there. I went, I went old. But what what it, what it told me was this idea of work-life balance that the millennials are looking for and that we're all looking for, by the way. It, if you have a boomer out there, he's listening on the radio, and you happen to take off at 2.30 because you went and played golf because it was Friday afternoon. You had a group call you up there and going to go play golf, and you left the office and left everybody behind. And, yeah, but I earned it. You did not earn it. <laughs> you did not earn it. You took it, right? You took it. Yeah, and, 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 and maybe, yeah, and you should have, and maybe you're free to take it. That's fine. Yeah, but it's not because you earned it, okay? But it is you're living that work-life balance. Yes, millennials want the same thing. They want that work-life balance. Give them their work-life balance. But all that to say is, to to uh, to do to how you do this in the workplace is you align your talent, you uh, provide them development for their career per chosen career path, and you advance them, and you better advance them really quick. Uh, and, and when you do that, they just, they, 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 they turn on. I mean, if, if you ask a millennial to hear, I've got a problem. I need, I need somebody to solve. Can you go off and solve this problem for me? Oh my gosh. That's what they're waiting for you to say. For sure. Well, listen, uh, you're talking about things near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, some of the philo- uh, philosophic geniuses that you referenced, obviously Aristotle, I'm a big fan of Socrates, the Socratic method not uh, instilling or forcing my opinion on others, but rather just asking a ton of questions uh, to find ways to get people to self-discover why things are the way that they are. But, you know, what you just touched on uh, and specifically Aristotle and Solomon, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to reference specifically your Aristotle piece in uh, happiness is, is doing what you do or doing what you love and doing it really well in a virtuous way. You know, that's, that's really, that is fundamentalism. That is, uh, also, the F uh, in fun, your personal foundation, like you talk about alignment, you talk about engagement, the development of others and advancement of this workforce. Uh, if you want to truly engage folks, create experience, uh, showcase what folks are good at, uh, allow them to align themselves to a cultural mission, uh, yeah. to a purpose, a calling, if you will. And that's why organizations, I'm certain that you could speak to this far better than I, but individuals and organizations that I've seen that have had a ton of success in their respective space are ones that are very transparent about uh, their their affection for one another and love and kindness and virtue and, and a moral compass and doing the right thing and showcasing uh, others because the one thing that, and that we'll never get enough of in this world is appreciation. And if I'm a millennial, uh, a boomer, uh, a Z, it doesn't matter, uh, name any letter, that's who I want to work for. So, yeah. you know, I'm fascinated by this whole discussion. I did a little research, which I rarely do because I want to engage uh, my guest, in this case, you, Philip, just as the audience does and experience together. But, you know, something caught my eye on your website. Uh, that I really, I really want to learn more about it. It's this concept of C4, C4. And oh my gosh, like I read it and I was like, boom, like, I just want to, I feel the energy (laughs) and specifically C4, you reference communicate, cooperate, collaborate, and co-create. Where did that concept come from? Uh, it just appeared in my brain one day and, and there, there's a, there's a fifth one, which is celebrate, but, it, but the C4 had the nice explosive sound. So I couldn't say C5, <laughs> but, so I just say celebrate plus celebrate. 
<laughs> but it's this whole idea of that that when you the whole if we can communicate if we could just sit down just like you're talking about not sit down and have a we need to have a serious conversation then but sometimes you maybe need to have a serious conversation but can we just have a conversation and just be totally transparent open with each other about what's going on uh and these are the things that i'm seeing and do you tell me what i'm seeing and then as i get as my feelings get hurt because i'm a this is my, part of my personality profile. Don't take it wrong. Or if I bark at you, because that's part of my personality profile, don't take it wrong. It's just, just my personality reacting at you. But the whole idea of communicate is so that then they can uh, cooperate together, work together on something. Uh, you know, millennials want to work with each other. They were trained to work in teams. That's how they were educated. That's all the way through college. They've been working on teams. Let them work on teams, cooperate, collaborate. This is where they're working on teams on the same thing, right? So, they're cooperating and working on the same thing, but now they're collaborating because I'm working on this and you're working on that. Can we collaborate together? And you can provide me some of the, cause I need some of that on mine and you need some of mine on yours. It's that whole idea of collaboration and then to co-create because as they start working together on each other's stuff, on their particular expertise on what they're working on, suddenly they're going to go, you know what? We can, we can circumvent both of these by doing a new one that mm-hmm. does them both. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And that's where they co-create. And then once they do that, then they celebrate. It's just a, I, I think that in every conversation that I have with someone that are, is, and I'm talking about what they should do with their millennials and how they advance their talent and, and, and develop their talent. I said, just enter with the C4 in mind whenever you have a conversation, communicate, cooperate with them, collaborate with them and co-create with them. If you have institutional knowledge. Boomers and Xers have institutional knowledge that is irreplaceable. When you walk out of the door, that's gone. It might be in a file somewhere, but no one's ever going to, if it's not put in a digital format in the next three years, it's going to be gone too. It's going to be thrown out with the trash. So whatever institutional knowledge you have, allow a millennial to do something with it. Tell them what you have. Tell them why you have it. This is why I've stored all this information in my brain, because this is what I think I can do with it. What do you think you can do with it? Mm. And watch him and watch him just go to work. It's unbelievable. That hamster wheel just starts turning. Oh just, man. Just as yours is about to, as we start to wrap up our time together with uh, some five off the wall questions. All right. So uh, we want to get to know you uh, in your most authentic form outside of just your, your business acumen, yeah, uh, which right. I know, I know you have a lot of, so I know that you've created several businesses. Uh, which one is your favorite? Uh, you know, it's one that I'm, that I, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of inactive right now. I would say my coaching practice, right? Because that's what I'm doing right now. Coaching is consulting, but really a golf academy, open a golf academy. Wow. <laughs> that was a lot. It's still a lot of fun. At times I just say, I'm going to go back and give, give up everything and go, go back to the driving range and, and, and teach golf. So do you still play regularly? Oh yeah. 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 What's your handicap? So, uh, it's about an eight. Okay. Eight, 8. All right. I, uh, I've never shot an under a hundred, uh, but I thoroughly enjoy uh, shared human experience. See, oh my God. It teaches humility. That's, that's for sure. It teaches humility. Uh, I just, I, I just always encourage my players whenever they, cause I've also coached a team, but is to just look at the pro scorecard and on a pro scorecard, you'll see lots of bogeys, but you'll all see lots, see lots of birdies. So everybody, it doesn't matter the level that you are. Sure. They just know how to get, they don't know how to get out of trouble high-handed cappers and, and myself. We just can't get out of trouble. That's it. Story of my life. Uh, what's one thing that you're super proud of that not many people know about you, Philip? Super proud of uh, not many people, but uh, oh my gosh. Uh, right. Well, yeah. Uh, 
Well, I've been married for uh, going on 44 years. That's a pretty proud accomplishment. That, yeah, that yeah, should yeah. be. Two, two beautiful what? daughters and, and, and to the married, same woman. The, <laughs> that's important note. Important note, yeah. which is, oh, yeah. this begs the perfect follow-up question. Uh, you know, there's a misnomer out there that engineers don't like to laugh or have fun. What makes you laugh? What makes me laugh? Uh, just a good joke. I mean, a, a good Irish joke. Now, of course, down here they have uh, uh, Cajun jokes, good Cajun joke. But I, I have a, had a brother, older brother, he's deceased now, but he was the he, seven siblings and he was the jokester in the family. You know, every I guess every family has one. And he used to have this Irish accent and he would just tell and he would just he would just say the first word and I'd start laughing. I just get this these giggling, you know, just start giggling. Oh, John, stop, stop, stop. And he's like, I haven't even started yet. I know, I know, I know. Ah. It's like he's tickling me. I just love that. I just love that. I have a buddy like that by the name of Charlie Blackman, who coincidentally is from Louisiana. He actually married my wife and I. Uh, as oh. the pastor, and uh, he is the best joke teller in the world. And part of what makes it so amazing is that really deep, amazing uh, Southern accent. And to your point, he says the first or second word, and I'm already just giggling <laughs> like a schoolboy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned music earlier. Um, you know, growing up, music, the yeah. stuff that I listened to, you said. What is your favorite genre genre of music? And if we want to get more detailed, who would be one of your favorite artists? Uh, genre would be the seventies. Uh, okay. Uh, oh gosh, you know, uh, America are Eagles in that in that genre. But sure. you know, and, and, and I don't really listen to haven't really listened to modern music because really in the there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> but I, I, some of the, some of the music coming out today is really good. Sure. But you know, if you if you just listen to radio in general. They play a lot of 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s music versus what, I mean, the last 30, you know, we've had 30 more years of music, you know, where's all that music. Right. Uh, so that was, and I just say from a perspective of, if you looked at those artists in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, when they wrote their music, I'm just saying this for your audience, when they made, when they wrote their music, and especially if you're a boomer and you're listening right now and you're remembering, oh yeah, I remember when they, when they wrote that music and you know that they were 22 years old when they were on tour. Mm. And you've got 22 year old millennials or, or Z, Z talent sitting at the desk and they're just sitting there doing a job. Right. That's the talent that they have. True. And if you just unleashed it, you could have a rock and roll band in your own, in your own office, have some real fun, man. That, that's the perfect final thought, <laughs> but I can't end there. Uh, we have one final uh, top five question. So as a coach slash consultant, speaker, author, and just expert in your field, um, what's one of, what if, what's one of the moments, uh, as a coach that really sticks out in your mind that really like justified or made you feel as though you were doing what you, uh, were proud of, or what you felt like you were called upon in doing. I think the, uh, I had a, had a client that I worked with for, for several years and we I haven't, hadn't heard from him for a while. And, and he called me in that we stay in contact, but we just hadn't had any contact for a while. And so he, he emailed me the other day and said, Hey, Philip, I'd really like to get together. And so I called him back and uh, he lives in New Zealand. So it's kind of a, you know, a long distance client and friend. And he just says, you know, Philip, I just really love the time that we spent together. Now we were coaching the whole time. He said, I just really love this time we spent together. Uh, that I think it's just having a conversation with somebody because I'm an inquisitive person, right? Sure. So just just by nature, trying to figure out what, what makes them tick. And so I I love to ask questions that 
they're not necessarily provocative questions. They don't really expect somebody to ask, are you going to ask that question? I said, yeah, they, you know, just, just don't, you don't have to answer it. I'm just going to ask the question. And what it does is it allows us, again, we're having a, we're, you and I are having a shared human experience right here on the, on the show, shared mm -hmm. human experience. There, when you get vulnerable and you release something that is deep inside of you, and, and, and you have to feel in a safe place in order to do that. And you release something deep inside of you that you, the, the, re, the release that has of energy in your body, especially if it's something that you're disappointed in or frustrated by, or even just the opposite, excited to buy. It does something to us physiologically and spiritually. Uh, and that, and that, that's what he missed. He said, I just missed that. I just want to have, I just want to talk. And I said, well, would you like to start coaching again? He said, well, yeah, we can do that too. But he said, you know, I just love that. I just loved our relationship. So I think that's what I, I loved about what I do yes. is the relationships I make. You create shared human experience. You, uh, you allow people to feel comfortable and vulnerability and you ask questions that force people to think. And yeah. that's something that I find in our society is uh, more rare than it should be. So kudos to you, my friend. You've generated a lot of interest by me. Uh, if you, and knowing that you have, uh, done the same with our <laughs> Fundamism podcast listeners, and they would like to learn more about you. Where should they go? Uh, it's the simplest place is, well, they can find me on LinkedIn, but uh, under Dr. Philip M. Zimmerman, but just go to unleashthemillennials.com. It's got links to my business page and everything. Unleashthemillennials.com. My guy. Uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Uh, I'm sure that this is the beginning of several conversations that we'll have in the near future. Of course, to the Fundamism podcast listener, the fundamental was unleash the power of others. And while we focus the bulk of our attention on millennials, know that just as Philip stated, uh, there's really not anything that we said that didn't pertain to nearly everybody in life. Everybody's driven by shared human experiences. Everybody thrives when they feel passion and in alignment with something that, that moves them, that they feel great about. And when indeed you celebrate them, uh, not part of the C4 package, but rather the plus addition, when you celebrate them for such and you advance them in their career while giving them development, well, ultimately people are going to feel good and they are going to unleash the power within. So from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for tuning in today to the Fundamism Podcast. We challenge you to go out and create some fun in your life and in the lives of others. Until we see you on the flip side, be safe, smile often, have fun, and deuces.